Bam 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 Welcome back, everybody, to Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less. That is Lisa Linking. That is Misty Stinnett. And we are about to review a popular self-help book and tell you what we think about it. Heads up, for those of you who have uh, never joined us before, I'm probably going to hate it. Because uh, I'm from the Midwest. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Lisa hates authority. I, uh, yeah. Now, and Misty, I'm highly suggestible. Well, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> Super gullible. She just joined a, a circus. Dumb, dumb. She right. grew up. <laughs> no, she is wonderful at um, just taking whatever is there and making it work for her, which is so brilliant. Thank you. You're so smart. And I'm always like, no, fuck it. Oh, also, we cuss. Now, that's a little bit uh, about that. <laughs> Uh, Listen, the point is, mm -hmm. if you like what you hear, go buy the book and enjoy it. We're going to do our best to cover the main points of every book, give you a little critical analysis, hopefully a few laughs. If you don't like what you're hearing... Who can care? You're welcome. Life is short. You're, You're welcome. welcome. We saved you the price of that book. Yes, we are reading the book so that you don't have to, and you can go on enjoying your busy life while still getting that perspective-altering self-help advice that you have been craving. Or that somebody's been poking you on the shoulder and saying, honey, please read this book. Yeah, and you better go do it because that's just going to escalate to more and more aggression yeah. until someone's keying it into the side of your car. Whoa. That's right. So I am so so jazzed okay. to bring you this book today. Okay. Because it is from... Tell me what book I'm going to hate. Oh, you're not going to hate it. You're not even going to hate it a little bit. Challenge accepted. This is... <laughs> thank you. This is Revolution from Within, a book of self-esteem by Gloria Steinem. <gasps> I'm not going to hate it. You're not going to hate it. You're going to love it. <laughs> I mean, how can you hate Gloria Steinem? You can't. That's the thing. You really can't. I mean, and I'll work hard. I'll find something. Yes, and okay, great, thank you. Um, we really do want to analyze these books from a critical perspective, so let's did see what know, happens. Did you know that my sunglasses from Warby Parker are her, Gloria Steinem, like she designed them? I'm sorry, that's an option? Well, what? they were, I'm going to get them out for you. And get them what? Out. She had a, like a, it was a, what do you call Limited it? Limited like edition a, That's line. exactly what it is, thank you. And they're designed by her. Oh, we're going to take a picture of this Mm -hmm. and put it on Instagram. If you want to see Lisa right now, today, in her Gloria Steinem Warby Parker glasses, head to at Go Help Yourself Podcast on Instagram. And now I'm sitting across from a woman taking selfies. Love it. Okay. So this book was first published in 1992. Okay. The hardcover is $13.98. Paperback, $13.44. Kindle's only ten twenty nine. The audiobook is only eight ninety nine. Does she she reads it? Thank you, Gloria Steinem. Thank you. I also want to say we do give the prices, but you can always find used cheaper. You always can. It's at your local library. It's on the OverDrive app for free, which we talk about all the time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and usually Amazon will sell from third parties used for like exactly. dirt cheap. Exactly. And also, so the, this book, as I mentioned, was first published in 1992. So uh, it's a bit cheaper. You know, it's not like if it came out two years it's ago. It's like a fine wine. 
Thank you. And you can get it at a bargain. Ooh, I'd love to drink a wine from 1992. So uh, for those of you who haven't heard of Gloria Steinem or want a refresher, uh, this is from her website, GloriaSteinem.com. Gloria Steinem is a writer, speaker, activist, and feminist organizer. She co-founded New York Magazine and Ms. Magazine, where she was an editor for 15 years. She graduated from Smith College in 1956. You bet. And then spent two years in India on a Chester Bowles Fellowship. Oh. I don't know what that is, but it's Sounds fancy. It sounds like a guy who wears a bowler hat. Yeah, that's what it is. His she, name is Chester. Yeah, he'll pay for anything as long as you wore one of his hats. Everyone knows that. I know that this isn't that right, but the Chester, when I hear the name Chester Bowles, I think of that very famous piece of art where the man is wearing a bowler hat and he has an apple in front of his face. Uh, yes, Cine Pazun hat. Okay. I'm mixing my, um, that was a bougie pun. Okay. So she wrote for Indian publications and was influenced by Gandhian activism. Yes. She's received a ton of awards, including the Bill of Rights Award from the American Civil Liberties Union I of mean, Southern California. Haven't we all? The National, yeah, I have too. <laughs> the National Gay Rights Advocates Award, the Series Medal from the United Nations, and a number of honorary degrees. Parenting Magazine selected her for its Lifetime Achievement Award in 1995 for her work in promoting girls self-esteem, and Biography Magazine listed her as one of the 25 most influential women in America. Oh, yeah. I was number 26. Mm-hmm. It only goes to 25. Yeah. So it was like, it was like a, just, just barely made You it were just there. like in one tiny corner above the barcode on the magazine. <laughs> I saw it. I have a copy. Um, in 1993, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame. There's a National Women's Hall of Fame? I know. Who knew? And it made me so sad because I was like, I've never heard of this. I and then know. I was like, why have Can I, I not go heard visit of this? It? I know. Yes. It's in Seneca Falls, New York. Is it? It is. Oh. Um, and in 2013, this is very casual. Okay. President Obama awarded her the Presidential Medal of Freedom. It took until 2013? Yeah. Oh, come on. Were any presidents before that going to be like, yes, I mean, Gloria Steinem? Bill Clinton, maybe. I mean, but now, I mean. Well, she's, now I mean, we she'd know. only won the Nobel Prize by then or whatever. Uh, yeah, whatever. Okay. okay. So as far as my first impressions of the book, uh, the cover is pretty plain. It's just a white background with brown and black text, and it's got a smiling picture of Gloria Steinem's face. I mean, that's all you need. Yeah, so it's sort of like her headshot's on there. Yeah, instant bestseller. Is it, it's like a New York Times bestseller, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, on the cover, it says, a national bestseller, but this was in 92, so who can know what that means? Now it's um, sold more than, like, Harry Potter. Oh, no, no one has. No one has. But, man, J.K. Rowling and Gloria Steinem writing a book together would be oh like my, my God! <gasps> can we make him... I'm here. If I know you ladies listen to our podcast. Here's my pitch. It's... <laughs> It's a feminist Hogwarts in America hidden beneath the mm-hmm. National Women's Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Thank you. It writes yes, itself. I'm there. Thank you. That's going to be our scripted podcast coming up. Thank you. Uh, so it's 432 pages, That's which I was lot. I was actually surprised by that page count because the audiobook was only three hours long. Maybe it was big type. Maybe it was big type. <laughs> Maybe there's infographics. I don't pictures, know. A lot of pictures. Maybe. I, maybe I I listened to the audiobook um and I immediately loved it. Gloria okay. Steinem reads it herself. She's What's her voice like? She's got a really nice voice. Yeah. It's it's a little drop down here. She's a little bit monotone her words. Yeah. Um uh, but it's just very pleasant. And I always like hearing it in the author's own voice, if possible, right? Unless it's Dave Ramsey just like condescending down to Hope us. Hope you like the car. Hope you like the car. Uh Gloria. So, na na na. Gloria, you're 
Okay. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, so, and the second she starts reading the introduction, it was just filled with insights. And I was uh, like, I am so here for this. Yes. I also was surprised by how shockingly relevant it still is today. Uh, so, 92, that was 30 years ago? Uh, it was 27 years ago? Sure. Yeah. 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 STEM. Math. Okay. So the very first page says, the dedication page, this book is intended for everyone, women, men, children, and even nations whose power has been limited by a lack of self-esteem. It is dedicated to anyone who respects the unique self inside a child and inspired by women whose self-esteem is making the deepest revolution. That's right. So the chapters in the book are... One, what is self-esteem? Sure. Two, it's never too late for a happy childhood. Thank you. Three, the importance of unlearning. And earnest. Yep. Four, relearning. Yes. Five, bodies of knowledge. Thank you. Six, romance versus love. Yes. Seven, a universal I. I. And eight, one year later and a proposal for the future. Which actually, I read the first edition, so mine did not have that Oh. One year later. Well, she's getting married to the future. Yes. That, oh, yes. That's right. A proposal. It's going to be like a small affair, just like yeah. 15,000 people. And like the, the universe. Yes. And the book also includes a meditation guide, a bibli, uh, bibliotherapy, and an index. What's a bibliotherapy? Who can know? Okay. Who can know? Well, let's move forward. Chapter so, uno. Right. It wasn't in the audiobook. So here we go. Oh. So chapter one, what is self-esteem? So let's start with her definition of self-esteem, which is the view that each person counts and can make a difference. I also looked it up in the dictionary, which defines it as confidence in one's own worth or abilities, self-respect. Great. Great. So she says we create much of the outer world from within ourselves. She discovered when writing this book that while there are many external barriers working against women, the inferior ones can be just as ferocious. For sure. Mm -hmm. Which everybody knows. But it's worth repeating. She says self-esteem plays as much a part in the lives of nations as it does in the lives of individuals. She cites a few political events that took place as she was writing the book, like the Gulf War, and explains that self-hatred leads either to the need to dominate or be dominated. And that citizens who refuse to obey anything but their own conscience and tran- oh can transform their countries. In short, that self-esteem is necessary for any real democracy. Okay. And that really struck a chord with me. So does the United States really hate itself? I actually think it does. Yeah. Not to jump right into that, but when you think of an England. Wh- how, how is fear rhetoric these days so pervasive and othering different groups of people and saying, no, fuck you, you're the problem. That's that's the problem. It's because of fear, because we're terrified for ourselves. Well, and then when I think about how England, there are only four countries in the world that England hasn't colonized over the course of Is history. Is that all? Yeah. Oh my God. So they really hate themselves. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So studies show that that low self-esteem correlates with both prejudice and violence and that people who have a negative view of themselves also view other people in the world negatively. The introduction does a beautiful job of showcasing the rippling effects of low self-esteem politically. It's so 
beautifully said, and it's still so relevant. This might be one I might listen to on audio. I really, I really encourage you to. Okay. Um, she says experts have shown that national inferiority complex, uh-huh. basic worldview, equality, and the belief in reward for work are all affected by self-esteem. Okay. When she was in college, her government professor was teaching her class that the family is the basic unit of the state. Sure. And what he described as the ideal family is something most of us have seen, a paternalistic, hierarchical kind of family. And he expected a perfect society to somehow emerge from this kind of inequality where the mother lives through others, the father has authority over others, and the children are possessions with almost no personal rights, even under the law. She says that feminism is just beginning to change this hierarchical paradigm and to create a microcosm of democracy from inside this family group and which we acquire our deepest sense of self and human possibilities. So this really clicked for me and it made me realize that that is why things like addressing the imbalance of the mental load and having equal partnerships are so important for the world at large mm. because how can the world ever become if it doesn't peace- start at home re- yeah a more peaceful equal nurturing place yeah. if it doesn't start within our own families that makes perfect sense and i'd never thought of revolution being that simple. Well, remember in Pima Chodron's um, When, when Things, Things Fall, Fall Apart, Apart, she was saying compassion has to start within first yes. before yes. it can ever expand out. Yes. But it's so interesting, the patterns we learn and how how could anybody grow up to be an effective adult, you know, when you haven't engaged in your own personhood growing up. Yeah. Or like, you know, and I love in that article about mental load when she kept saying, my daughter cleans her room and doesn't expect any kind of, you know, um, Congratulation, a reward, and my son demands us to acknowledge acknowledge it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, and so in the introduction, she, as far as the structure of the book goes, she talks about these sort of big sweeping things and why self esteem is relevant to the world at large and and feminist causes and just national causes. And then she gets uh, very, very personal on an individual basis and backs it up with studies. So that's what we're going to dive into. So we're still in the intro. She talks briefly about nationalism, which is identification with one's own nation and support for its interests, especially to the exclusion or detriment of the interests of other nations. I mean, we all know <laughs> yes, but I, I I liked hearing the definition again. So this whole make America great again, build a wall, right? This is nationalism coming oh, yeah. to an extreme extreme point. So she also talks about no wonder this has come into existence after colonialism. People sort of picked it up as a defense mechanism. But she says we can't afford to take either or stances of nationalism or defeat. Instead, we need to take a leap of the imagination and envision nations as the best kinds of families, those new and democratic families we are trying to create in our own lives. Mm -hmm. She says, quote, the hierarchical family must be changed anyway if we are to stop having leaders whose unexamined childhoods are then played out on a national and even an international stage, mm-hmm. end quote. My head just about fell off when I read this, and this was 1992. Oh, but I mean, it's a tale as old as time, right? Tale as old as time. Yeah. Saddam Hussein. Meow, 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 meow. Who was tortured daily by his stepfather. Meow, Not meow, a worldview that he either had to be the torturer or the tortured. 
Thank you. Um, she says, changing the way we raise children is the only lasting path to peace or arms control. She quotes the adage, the personal is political, but says we need to recognize also that the political is personal. Well, that makes sense, too, in a lot of very um, uh, uh, extreme religious yeah. um, organizations yeah. when they they get children very young yep. and teach them doctrine versus to Mm -hmm. think for themselves. Yeah, and you'll also find that like an absentee parent creates a vacuum in which a child seeks out something else and that's how you get all of these um, really intense systems. So Mm -hmm. she really does a beautiful job in just a three-hour audiobook covering these really systemic, complicated um, systems. I mean, she's just, she's amazing. And she also talks about how she wrote 250 pages of a first draft, and her editor was like, you left yourself out of this. Like, this is a book on self-esteem, and you left yourself out of it. And She's so like, she, I am a woman. I have no self-esteem. Ex- no, ex- no, seriously. <laughs> she looked at it, and she was like, and I'm an activist, and I'm often the spokesperson, and I am struggling with this. So she took another three years to write this book. So it's very well written. Um, so she says, we can imagine families that nurture self-esteem and unique talents in each person that create independence, not dependence, and that produce people secure enough to take pleasure in empowering others. Mm. Just as the point of a truly nurturing family is not to keep its members at home forever, the point of a self-confident nation is not to draw a line in the sand and keep its members behind it, but to create world citizens who are secure enough to treat others equally. Mm -hmm. So we are now in the chapter, It's Never Too Late for a Happy Childhood. The conviction of being loved and lovable, valued and valuable, as we exactly as we are, regardless of what we do, is the beginning of the most fundamental kind of self-esteem. It's called core self-esteem. Core. Core. Core self-esteem. Um, and, you, you know, we've talked about this a lot, but I'm such a go-getter and a doer and productivity this and whatever. And I, this is something I struggle with. I, I often feel like if I just were mm-hmm. myself and I didn't have a job and a hundred projects and a podcast to talk about, like, what is my worth? Yeah, that we derive a lot of self-worth through doing versus Yeah, through being. external achievements yeah. versus just I came out and I've, of the womb and I've got worth we because I'm a human. need to work on our core. On our core. We're going to do some core exercises. So in childhood, as early as infancy, we sense how we are valued in the world. Mm-hmm. If someone responds to our cries or mirrors our expressions or doesn't. Later in childhood, we develop situational self-esteem, the feeling of being good at something. But families who don't foster core self-esteem, but then give lots of situational praise for kids who obey the rules they've set down uh, or for completing tasks, those societies produce kids who believe they're must be something wrong with their innate interests and abilities, and they create something psych- a psychologists call a false self mm-hmm. in order to earn inclusion and approval and to avoid punishment. She says, think of the small boy who is told impossible things such as take care of your mother or you're the man of the house now. This can cause a child to inflate their false self in order to mask their true self. It's also true for people who are praised for their superiority when they know it's false. So it happens a lot to to girls who are willful and they love to go exploring and get dirty and climb things, but they're punished for that and instead praised for being docile and smiling sweetly. Um, these girls 
often begin to construct a deflated self, a feminine self, to conceal their true self. For men, this often manifests as narcissism. And for women, gradually, it results in depression. When core self-esteem stays low throughout adulthood, no amount of external approval or situational self-esteem is able to compensate. This is how you get people and leaders where no amount of power, display, or money is enough. I know you're doing a great job of like summarizing long chapters into short paragraphs, and I Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. Is it dense? It is. It does (laughs) feel a little blanket statement-y. Yeah, and that could just be my interpretation. She does get more specific. It is also 1992. Yeah, but basically, you need this core self-esteem. Core. Core. If not, you are in danger of no matter what you do in your life, never feeling at peace. You've never accomplished enough. You've never made enough money. You're never good enough. Now, I am going to hold true to my myself. Yep. My core self-esteem is true. Um isn't that part of the human condition? I don't think so. I think I think especially in American culture this is a problem that a lot of us face and because it's so pervasive we go that's normal. I don't think it has to be normal. I understand that. I also think you know, she's kind of just laying blanket statements on on genders, which I'm always a little cautious of. Well, this is this is also backed up by studies and research. Yes, her assumption that girls like to climb and get dirty. No, no, no. That's one example. Right. So I, that's an example of a child whose true self is this like right. willful, right. adventurous thing. But then society being like, no, no, no. Like, cross your legs and smile and be small. That is how you get this discord within you. And you sort of internalize that when you're young so that you don't feel like who you are as a person is worthy of being valued and loved. It's just situational self-esteem. So that only holds true for people for people whose internal self doesn't match what they're exactly what society thinks. Exactly. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. That is what she's saying. So, so she it, is not saying every girl right. wants to climb a tree, right? right. And she's all but she's also um she does a great job of including a lot of examples that include boys and men. Yeah, no, no. I'm not saying that it just sounded that she was like mm, it, it, it's it just feels a little reductive. Oh, yeah. Well it could be my summary of it. It didn't feel reductive to me when I was reading it. Okay. Good. But I hear what you're saying. But basically like Anytime society is like, you know, children used to be like seen and not heard kind of thing. It's like, mm-hmm. well, what if you're a precocious kid that wants to sing and dance and do that and everybody punishes you for who you are and you're only praised when you fit into society's rules? That's how you get sort of low core self-esteem of an entire nation. Unfortunately, societies that produce obedience by withholding core self-esteem, who stifle self-authority in order to make us accept outside authority, are the same societies who are likely to discourage the mending, replenishing, and healing of that self-esteem. The idea of intrinsic worth is so dangerous to authoritarian systems that self-esteem may even be condemned as self-indulgent, selfish, egocentric, and godless. Mm -hmm. Quote, 
Because if people feel they have a value that needn't be earned, how can they be made to work? Why should they continue to strive at all? End quote. Great question. So Gloria Steinem answers this question by explaining that in childhood, when we are the most likely to feel unconditionally loved, that's when we stretch our abilities the most. We didn't need to earn a reward for learning to walk or for exploring the world around us. We didn't need to have a competition to be motivated to learn our first words. We did it all for the sheer joy of it. And she says that's the surest path to good work at any age is to do it for the sheer joy of it. Mm-hmm. Having healthy core self-esteem is like having strong roots. We can bend with the wind and still survive. So she addresses parenting in this chapter as well and says that we must treat ourselves as well as we would treat our children. And is she a parent? I don't know. I don't think she is. That's a great question. But she also talks about um, this includes like if if there are other kids in your life, you know, you're an aunt sure, or sure, your sure, friend, sure. you know, it's it's sort of like – how do how do we address the people around us and and also kids? Like how do we treat kids as full human beings with a full range of emotions? Because they come out with baggage. Yeah, um, <laughs> they do. They do. Uh, she also tells us the story of Alice Miller, this woman who experienced a very abusive and controlling childhood, and how she healed her inner child by confronting her childhood, uh, by recovering memories, heal- and healing her core self-esteem through art. Gloria then walks us through um, some short exercises to explore what we might have been missing in childhood. For example, she says you can make a list of all the things you wish you had received in childhood, and now you have a list of all the things you should do for yourself now. So there are things you can do. It's never too late to have a happy childhood to heal that inner child now. So now we're in the importance of unlearning. She says, once we've had an education, the important thing for most of us is not to learn, but to unlearn. We need to demystify the forces that have told us what we should be before we can value what we are. She asks, how do we do this when the most trusted sources of information make some groups visible and others completely invisible? Yes. When we are encouraged to choose between bettering ourselves and becoming ourselves. So she talks about the enormous problem with textbooks, which leave out all sorts of groups and are taught as objective fact or truth. When she was in college, Gloria was told only that, quote, women were given the vote. End quote. A one <laughs> sentence, a one sentence distortion of a century of struggle that did nothing to shake her assumption that power was located somewhere other than within herself. Mm-hmm. With the exception of a martyr here or a revolutionary there, white women weren't serious and women of color were supposed to honor the suffering of men of color more than their own. Since the consciousness of injustice is a step toward justice and self-esteem, our educations had reduced our potential for both, she says. This is how education can deflate your self-esteem. Women often get better grades than their male counterparts, but it obscures the question of what is being learned. A female student may be getting an A+, but the A+, is in self-denigration. This and other factors, she explains, is why uh, so many female academics of all races and groups tend to experience the anomaly of high academic achievement and low Mm self-esteem. So here are some numbers. 
According to a study commissioned by the American Association of University Women in 1991, a large part of the lesson girls learn is to undervalue ourselves. As nine-year-olds, 67% of girls and 60% of boys said they were, quote, happy with the way I am. By the time these same students were in high school, only 46% of boys said they felt that way, and the girls had plummeted to 29%. Mm -hmm. Then in high school, where the gender gap in math and science begins to widen, the problem may be more girls' view of themselves than the actual subjects they're learning. Right. So one teacher found that when boys struggle in science, they blame the material. When girls struggle in science, they blame themselves. Yeah. I also wonder if these are relatively the same 25 years out or you know. I know. I do wonder, too. I do wonder, too. But um, it's really—I I still found all of this very insightful. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, uh, uh, it's—I think now it's kind of like an, ass, uh, uh, an assumption. Do you know what I mean? That, like, yeah. we—I can see how this would be groundbreaking at the time. Yes. And now it's kind of like, yes. yeah, that's just kind yeah, of a baseline Yeah, there's so fact. much more we know. And yeah. so here's, here's what I found fascinating. She talks about— um, these two studies about removing the I don't know option from tests. Mm -hmm. So girls often choose this option more than boys, especially when the question is couched in sports or something else that makes girls feel like it doesn't belong to them, mm -hmm. which is something I never thought about. Like, who's writing these tests? And they think they're doing like a, if Johnny plays oh, golf yeah. with 14. And I, I remember having questions like that on the SAT. And being like, what the fuck is that? You know what I mean? I, I just hadn't even thought about how that could affect. There's also a lot of classist questions. Oh, I bet. Mm -hmm. I bet. So if you have four jars of caviar and you eat. Well, no, not like that. But I mean, golf is a sport that is, right. is very expensive. Right. Um, so you've only played play. that and that makes sense to you if. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Uh, so that that was a re revelation to me. So, um Researchers wanted to see what would happen if girls were forced to make an informed guess to trust their knowledge and their instincts. In science, a study of 13 to 17-year-old girls found that the gender gap disappeared when the I don't know option was taken away. Hmm. When that option was removed from math tests, 7 to 10th grade girls were found to do better than boys. She talks about how in middle school and high schools, girls will often see women in places of authorities as teachers or principals. But then when they go to college, this is often reversed. And they are introduced to textbooks and specialties that have few women visible in positions of power. The quote-unquote common curriculum belongs largely to one group and not the other. Yeah. So we're sort of internalizing all of this as we're going through and we're just not seeing representation of the majority of the people on the planet because what yeah. is it, 51% of the citizens are, are women? Yeah. Um, well, we're just also very dumb. Yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. What what do we expect? Yeah, what do we expect? So now we're in relearning. So now we've unlearned, and we have to be able to look at a critical eye in education. You must have re-education. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so she walks us through her own experience with some meditative exercises to revisit her authentic self and heal some of her past traumas. She says meditation is a well-marked path in the rediscovery of the inner self. That's also interesting, because she did spend a couple years in India. Yeah. Yeah, she did. Yes, she did. Um, and at this time, I'm sure meditation was not as nearly as widespread. There were no apps, iPhones, Headspace, no, you know, yeah. all of it. Um, 
She covers dream journaling, art, talk therapy, a path of laughter, singing, and more. So if you want to hear more about those uh, strategies for healing past trauma, definitely uh, read this chapter. And she also talks about the importance of having a guide. If you don't want to do this on your own, get to a cognitive behavioral therapist, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. get, get some help if you need it. She also touches on the power of what she calls psychic families. These are small groups of people who are going through the same thing you are, like women at an eating disorder clinic Mm -hmm. or a grief group. She says size matters. This is why covens of witches and pagan times had 13 members. They were small enough so everyone could talk, large enough for diversity, but an uneven number so decisions were never deadlocked also 13 is scary number it's yeah and we just like to be a little scary yeah yeah Yeah. but i thought that was brilliant that is smart like a coven of 13 wishes uh, witches i say yes i also keep a coven of 13 wishes on my jar at home do you on my shelf in a jar at home and um you know if there's more than 13 wishes they seem unattainable but if there's fewer i feel like i'm not like i'm limiting myself this feels like a new age vision board and i am not here for it (laughs) so what if gloria steinem had said vision boarding (laughs) So, everyone knows how I feel about vision boards. Moving on. They still give me anxiety. Watch our video if you want to see it on the link tree on our Instagram page, at Go Help Yourself Podcast. Uh, So, now we're in the chapter, Bodies of Knowledge, and I loved this chapter. So... Sometimes when she gives lectures, Mm -hmm. Gloria will ask the audience to stand up without telling them why. When they do, she tells the women to look around the room and to look at themselves. They're usually standing in a way that covers their bodies and makes them take up as little space as possible. So arms clasped in front of them, feet together. But men tend to stand in a way that takes up the maximum amount of space. A wide stance, you know, hands on the hips so the elbows are jutting out. Putting their hands up in the air like they just don't care. (laughs) And they stay there. (laughs) Uh, So... (laughs) (laughs) Why why did that get you so much? It was your your voice! (laughs) Uh, So Gloria points this out to the audience and asks them all to exchange styles and see how it feels. So when those in the small space group expand their stance, they often feel exposed at first, uh, then powerful and more confident. When those in the big space group contract their bodies, they report feeling childlike, then less powerful and less visible. Well, this is power poses, all of Amy Cuddy's research, which... Gloria was long before. Yes. She says women especially need to understand how something so simple as quote unquote feminine posture can undermine self-confidence. She then asked the entire audience to close their eyes and stand in a way that simply felt comfortable. And the men started jerking off. That's right. They all did. Um, Those poor janitors. They all (laughs) reported feeling more relaxed and at ease when they let their bodies take over and stopped trying to like do this sort of mind, what am I, you know, how can I be masculine and feminine? It's important to note that before they were allowed to open their eyes, she asked everybody to put their clothes back on. Yes, that's right. It's, come on, it's dignity. Yeah. So how we stand says not just something about us, it says something to us. Our sense of ourselves, she says, lives powerfully in our bodies. The mind does not just dictate to the body, the body dictates to the mind. Right. So before there was actual scientific proof to back this up, she's talking about the mind-body connection. Yeah, exactly. Uh, What does she call it? Like psychosynthesis or something like that? Mm -hmm. Um, Mind change can begin with body change, Mm -hmm. like how we breathe, the power of touch. Touch and massage yes. and orgasm. Yes. Self-esteem can plummet 
when someone immediately after work self esteem can plummet. <laughs> uh, yes, for many. Set a friend. Set a friend. Set a friend. So she says self esteem can plummet when a person is deprived of a sexual outlet. Women with low self esteem often listen to their partner's needs over their own, and men with low self esteem often listen to external standards of performance at the expense of their partner's pleasure and even their own. Listener challenge park it wherever you are and jerk it. Park it and jerk (laughs) it. That's your homework? (laughs) No, immediate listener challenge. Oh, no, 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 (laughs) no. No, no. Just wait till the podcast is over. I don't want you doing that to my voice. I mean, are Sorry. you could. Park it, pause it, jerk it. Park it, pause it, jerk it, play it. Sensuality and pleasure are expressions of the authentic self, Gloria mm-hmm. Steinem says. Mm-hmm. If we trust our sensuality, follow it, and listen to it, our bodies will take us to places that our conscious mind could not imagine. Now, here is where I am going to tell you a story. When I lived in Chicago, I was driving down the street to Walgreens, and I was at a stoplight getting ready to turn into the Walgreens parking lot, and I turned to my right, and I did see a couple in their, I would say, late 50s, early 60s, um, and the woman was clothed uh, normally. It was it was a little nippy. It was springtime, so she was wearing a light jacket and pants or whatever. She was holding a leash, and on the leash was a man in his underwear and a ball gag. No. Crawling on the ground. Crawling in on public? the ground. In public? In Walgreens? Headed on. They were on Clark Street. I don't know if they went into Walgreens um, because I was agog. Yeah. Uh, and I couldn't believe it. And oh my God. I tried to be open, but then I also was like, I don't. I don't want to see that in public. <laughs> I don't want children to see and have, I don't want a parent to have to answer why she's walking a man on a leash in his underwear and what is that big red ball in his mouth strapped around the back of his head. Um, and and I, I, felt, I, I felt very uncomfortable. And um, she was just taking him on a walk. It was very interesting. And did she just look like as bored as someone would with yes. their dog? She was like, I think she poodle? might have been on her phone. Like she literally was just oh like, oh my god. And so the, when you said when people like they take their most comfortable selves, that's the first it image t- that came to mind. What did she say? She said our bodies will take us to places that our conscious mind could not imagine. <laughs> well, I'm gonna tell you that feels true. And I can't believe you waited so long to tell me that story. <laughs> I have so many questions can't believe that didn't come up on like episode two sorry so uh i I probably would put it to bed that's right so so we're talking about the the message that the body can send to the mind she says this is also why the experience of feeling endangered in a female body has such far-reaching consequences yes think of how often as women we are just on alert Walking to cars at night, walking into the office, eyes on us at the office, doing at a the podcast store. with your partner. Yes, I am just eyeing you so hard it's right very now. Very tense. No, this feels like a really safe place. So thank you. Yeah, it's true. Um, she uses Margaret Mead, the famous anthropologist, mm-hmm. as an example of a child who was treated as a full person and had great core self-esteem and and mind and body unity. And it's a truly extraordinary story. But you'll have to read the book for that because I, it's such an extraordinary story. Such a tease. I know. I know. But basically, she accomplished all these incredible things in her life and had all these insanely amazing human abilities. And she's sort of this rare unicorn example of the potential you can reach if all of this is honored and honed in you. Um So she also covers the evolution of society's pressures on outward physical appearance, 
um, because, of course, it's a huge part of Mm self-esteem. And she outlines how uh, our standards for physical appearance have changed in America and throughout the world over time. So, for instance, curvy women with voluptuous breasts and hips were sought after in the 1950s when America was making a push for the nuclear family after World War II when we were meant to replenish the population. After that need had been met, though, the Marilyn Monroe curves of the the 50s gave way to the Jackie Kennedy look of the 60s and finally to the androgynous Twiggy look. Mm -hmm. Either way, whatever is rarest confers the most status. So there are still countries where having um, a very uh, plump and voluptuous wife is a status symbol, and some men force feed their wives to make sure that they are getting that status symbol. Um, So... uh, no matter what, though, patriarchal systems still prefer weak women. If you look at any of it, it's of always uh, a weak woman. So men are much less likely to be judged on their outward appearance since their bodies are valued as instruments of knowledge, not sexuality. Which we know is not groundbreaking stuff right now, um, but it's it bears repeating, I think. So she also touches on the intersection of race here where many ethnic groups find themselves trying to alter their appearance to fit a white ideal of beauty, yeah. which is something we talked about a lot um, in uh, Lavia Jai's I'm, I'm judging, judging you. you. Yeah, mm-hmm. which that oh that book is so great. If you want to know what it's about, the episode was I don't know, 15 episodes ago, 20 episodes ago. Who can count? There's so many. <laughs> um, what was that? <laughs> <laughs> what was that laugh, y'all? I reject. <laughs> like, give me a fake ass laugh. I, I laugh, but I'm still get out of here. At my at my memory. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> well, really don't worry. We'll put a back. picture of that uh, oh, God, memory no! on the Instagram. Really prob- I'm sure we could Google image it. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So everyone can, they see it in their mind. It's fine. So in this chapter, she covers more statistics and personal stories of outward appearance. Um, uh, but we're not going to cover all of those today. A study showed that there's almost no connection with a woman's physical attractiveness as rated by others and her satisfaction of body image and her feeling of self-worth. But there is a strong relationship between body image and self-esteem. Men also tend to have an inaccurate body image, just like women do, but in the opposite direction. So women... I wonder if that would be the same now. I do too. So she she basically cited in the book, like, men who are clinically overweight, medically overweight had a much higher, like, oh, I'm in great shape and da-da-da-da-da than women who are underweight. I don't think it would be the same anymore. Yeah, because of our world's gotten so pervasive and the sort of standards, yeah. Yeah, but um, at least in 1992, she said women unrealistically distort their bodies negatively while men unrealistically distort their bodies positively. I mean, I still— At that time. That's probably just still about penis size. At least that's what a friend told me. Mm Mm-hmm. Let me see that friend's pictures. So the question is, if we didn't acquire a positive body image in childhood, how can we acquire one now? Yeah. Plastic surgery and dieting scientifically don't work to increase our self-esteem on their own. There's many people. Think of people addicted to plastic surgery. You're like, oh, I feel better once I get a nose job. You get a nose job, and then you're like, ah, I still feel like this ugly person inside. Sometimes. Some people actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some people do. But typically on their own, Mm -hmm. it's not enough. But what does work, according to Gloria Steinem, is talking to people who share the same life experiences as you, exercising every morning for those feel-good endorphins, celebrating your heritage, and examining what gave you low self-esteem earlier in your life. Um, she she asks 
these three questions, which I loved. Do we want to make the change out of hope or out of fear, out of a longing for self-expression or approval from others, pleasure or pressure? So I loved how she highlighted like barometer. Yeah, I loved that because I think, yeah, because a lot of us are like, oh, well, let me change this about myself. So so people don't think I'm a noob or so people think I've got money or so I'm attractive versus like, I want to feel like myself. I want to I want to dye my hair red because that's my truest self-expression. Right. Um, So she says a woman wins by giving herself and others permission to eat, to be sexual, to age, to wear what she wants, to do whatever she chooses in following or ignoring her own aesthetic. She also talks about aging and her experience with being diagnosed with breast cancer and how it helped her listen to her body finally. So now we're in the chapter, Romance versus Love. We're blazing through people. So she talks about how in our culture, when we aren't allowed to embrace all the sides of ourselves, the masculine and the feminine, that's what makes us long for romance so much because it's the reuniting of a whole. This is why romantic myths are so pervasive. They're indicative of us yearning to be whole. She says we project our lost qualities onto someone else. No wonder romance grows weaker with daily closeness and familiarity. No one can be or give back to us the rest of our unique selves. That's an interesting theory. Yeah, and and by I, I guess I should have set up a little bit more, you know, what the romantic myth is. But I, I mean, if you think all, of any, we know it. yeah, any any romance novel, etc. But it's always about like now I feel whole because I'm with this person, and it's like you can never have those things until you're with that. Per- it's 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 pretty toxic, actually. Yeah. But I wonder, I mean, is it, it's kind of for me chicken or egg, right? Like, do I, am I searching for those things that I'm missing or am I missing those things because I'm, um, I'm, I'm taught that I will meet a perfect someone. Exactly. Exactly. That's a great question. Uh, She says, this is why romance is so powerful. We are actually making love to the rest of ourselves, right? Because when you're with somebody. That made me. Not comfortable. No? Yeah, you look real uncomfortable. I don't want to make love to myself. No? No. I I want to make love to someone else. Someone else. Gloria! Gloria! (laughs) Something in your number! La, la, la! Um... You're welcome, everyone. So she says low self-esteem is the single greatest barrier to intimacy. It makes a woman terrified of letting someone get too close, lest they discover the real her and reject her. Shut up, Gloria. You don't fucking know. (laughs) Sounds like we're touching something for Lisa. (laughs) And of course, Sav's laughing. And of course, (laughs) men experience the same terror and often an added fear that dependence on a woman or the discovery of feminine feelings within themselves will undermine their carefully constructed facade of manliness. Jealousy also springs from these feelings of incompleteness and increases as self-esteem diminishes. The more incomplete we feel, the more obsessed we become with owning someone on whom we've projected all our missing qualities. This cycle of low self-esteem, lack of intimacy, jealousy, even lower self-esteem, etc., is dangerous. In fact, in relationships where traditional gender roles are adhered to, there's a higher likelihood of abuse. This chapter is really, really amazing. I highly recommend a read for a deep dive into how self-esteem plays a part in romantic relationships. Because... There's a lot there. Well, I have high self-esteem and I don't need relationships. So I don't need to read it. I'm fine. You seem fine. Yep. 
always fine. I'm always fine. I'm not fine, and I want to examine this stuff more. <laughs> so we're on the last chapter in this edition, A Universal Eye. She talks a bit about the brains. The Eye of Sauron. Yes. I don't know what that is. Have you never seen the Lord of the Rings movies? Mm-mm. The big My mom Eye of Sauron. Books. You've Mm-mm. never seen? Oh, Misty. I'm sorry. To everybody who's listening to our podcast, I apologize on behalf of Misty. And this clear I have a culture gap, y'all. Oversight. I'm working on it. There's a lot of content. Please and thank you. So she talks a bit about brain science here. Stam! Stam! And she says self-esteem starts out as a personal blessing, but it becomes nothing less than an evolutionary force. What we are gradually learning is an earlier mystical view that was covered over by reductionist thinking. We are the universe and microcosm, she says, and the universe is each of us in macrocosm. If we have respect for one, how can we fail to have respect for the other? Just as each cell contains our own being, each thought and dream contains our whole self. If our dreams were not already real within us, we could not even dream them. She says there is always one true inner voice. Trust it. What is your face right now? She's got real woo-woo. She got real woo-woo at the end of the book. That's right. I was right. not prepared for that. I know. I know. I can tell by her face. For Gloria woo-woo Steinem. And that's it. So if you have the second edition of the book or you want to check that out, there is a chapter called One Year Later and a Proposal for the Future. I didn't have it, so we're not doing it. I'm going to tell you what that chapter is about. Great. One year later, she like... She's like walking down the streets of New York. She's walking down Fifth Ave because she's like loves to shop. Yeah. Because she's a lady. And she has her like um her coach bag and she like drops something and she bends down to get it. And she um there's hands also bending down to get it. And she looks up and it's this gorgeous man. Mm-hmm. And she's immediately like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And he's like, No, that's okay. And she's like, <laughs> and he and he is like, I'm gonna propose that in our future we meet for a drink and she's like "Eh." and then he's like they get married I love that in the meantime she goes to buy an outfit for her drink and they won't help her in the boutique and she's like you work on commission right big Big mistake mistake. huge (laughs) and then he can't drive his like DeLorean or whatever and then he saves her and then they travel back in time that's right and he's paying her this whole time and he doesn't have sex with her because she's his mom (laughs) that's right (laughs) And she looks a lot like Julia Roberts. Yeah. So so that is A Revolution from Within, <laughs> a book of self-esteem by Gloria Steinem. Misty. Obviously, we can't cover every single thing in the book in one podcast episode. So if you want to read it for yourself, which I do recommend, um, it's on audible.com, free library dra- app Overdrive, and wherever books are sold. And if you want to check out more of Gloria Steinem's work, uh, you can go to GloriaSteinem.com. That's G-L-O-R-I-A. Gloria. S-T-I. Stein. S-T-E-I-N-E-M. Steinem. <laughs> I'm sorry. Fuck that up. It's in the show notes right below. It's in the show down. notes right below, Misty, people. What, what did you try, if anything, from this book? Oh, that's a great question. Thank you. That's Lisa, why I, I didn't try that. anything yet because I actually read this book twice <gasps> for this episode. Okay. I read it twice for this episode, and I finished my notes right before I came here. Okay. So I haven't tried anything, but I do think I'm going to uh, re-examine the way I approach romantic relationships. Okay. I'm that's my foot. Lisa that's on is you. sorry I'm stretching. Literally like stroking her toes I'm, on I'm the outside of my thigh. I'm stretching. I liked it. Who is this book great for? 
I think this book is really great for anybody who's feeling like they're they are um not worthy, intrinsically not worthy or lacking in core self-esteem because I really have a lack of core self-esteem. Mm. All my stuff is is achievement-based. And I also think this is great for people who um, are parenting or want to be parents someday or even are, are some sort of parental aunt or uncle figure or whatever for mm-hmm. younger kids because as opposed to just like telling kids how to act and teaching them to behave, like what would happen if we just empowered them to be who they are as long as they're being safe and respectful, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. What is this book not good for? Men's rights activists. Men's rights activists. Uh, people who think feminist is a dirty word. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think, I don't know. I don't think this, I don't know that this would strike someone in their 20s as well as it would someone a little later in life. It sure. doesn't, it doesn't strike me as like a teenage book. Sure. Yeah. We need a... Revolution from within for the teenage soul. Yeah. <laughs> Chicken soup for the soul, the te- right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> That's great. Um, uh, do you have a listener challenge? Yeah. I want you to think about something, just one thing that you always wished you'd gotten in childhood, like an experience or a thing. A pony. Yeah. I want you to buy yourself a pony. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Or go riding on a pony okay. or go pet a pony. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Just uh, one little thing and see how that feels. Okay. Um, also, uh, my my listener challenge to everybody is to park it and jerk it. Yeah. Work it, jerk it. That's the new name of our podcast. <laughs> work it and jerk it. <laughs> Hi, I'm work it. Yeah. And you're jerk it. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> that feels right. I'm sorry. Well, this was really great. Thank you so much for... Was it? Listen, that that was a dense book, and it I realized it didn't have a ton of humor. But, well, I did my very best to be really contrarian did. and to challenge Gloria Steinem. I'm inviting her openly to come on to our podcast for yeah. a fist fight whenever she would like. Gloria, you have been writing us nonstop Gloria, since we started the podcast. Writing. Um, we get it. We get it. You, You're jealous. You want to be part of it. We're just two amazing, brilliant, talented, eloquent, very busy, musical, constantly booking, like great haired bitches in Los Angeles who, you know, would be happy to talk to, I guess. I mean, I guess. We'll see if we can pencil you in. Well, for those of you who are who are listening still, thank you so much. And um, <laughs> if you have read this book or if you have thoughts about Gloria Steinem, please let us know. Or if you're Gloria Steinem. Well, I yes. I And I really want to know, uh, because I, I don't think I'm alone in this, what are your struggles with self-esteem? And is mm. there anything that you have done that's made you feel more at peace with strengthen your cur your cur self esteem um um yeah because i that's so hard to be like oh no i have intrinsic value like how do you actually teach yourself that yeah. and really feel it i know intellectually well here's what i did is i put myself up for sale on ebay and then i bought myself so <gasps> i bought myself for $1000 so now i intrinsically have $1000 worth of value oh I, it was I would have paid at least eleven hundred. Oh shit! I should have oh, left myself up shit. for longer. Um, everybody, thank you so much. Let us know what you thought. We hope you're having an amazing day, and I hope that everybody uh, parks who, it and jerks it. Parks it, works it, jerks it, and 
Uh, I hope that anybody who needs a reminder is reminded to do something really nice for themselves today, even in a teeny tiny way, to show your own self-love and compassion and that you are worth something. Go, but listen, yesterday I texted you a picture of this. I got like a fancy ass cold brew coffee you on did. draft with like whipped cold salted caramel it foam like a on Guinness the top. Almost. It did look like a Guinness and it was like a $5 coffee, which we all know I do not buy that $5 coffee. I do not buy that $5 coffee. It really felt like self care. I love so, that for you. Thank you. So that's all I'll say. And everybody, life is abundant. Gloria. Gloria, life is abundant. Gloria, why is life so abundant? Gloria, comment on the podcast. (laughs) Go Help Yourself, a comedy self-help podcast to make life suck less, was produced by Misty Stinnett, Lisa Linky, and Matt Sav. Our theme song was also written by Matt Sav. He's amazing. (laughs) Do you want to get in touch? You do. Email us at gohelpyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. And you know, you can also find us on the social medias. Instagram at gohelpyourselfpodcast. Twitter at ghypodcast. Or check out our website, gohelpyourselfpodcast.com. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes to help other people discover our show. It's really the least you can do. And why don't you tell all of your friends? Bye! Bye.